Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. Uh, and we also have PDFs available for download on our website, Grove.Church. Yeah, so jump on there, grab that PDF. You can keep up with us. Um, if you are behind, as some people are at this point in the year, that's okay. Um, would still love you for you to join us in reading along. Um, and as you're reading along, or maybe you're listening to the podcast even this week, would love for you if there's some questions or a thought that kind of triggers your mind and you want to kind of have some more clarity on it, would love to take for you to take a moment and send us those questions. Uh, we love to take time as much as we can in every episode uh, to respond to those questions. So today we have one that I, we actually are looking forward to. It's kind of fun um, to process and think through some of the, the thoughts regarding the question, but that'll come at the end. Uh, but there's two ways you can send us those questions. One is an email. You can email info at grove.church. Or you can direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. You'll see our little green leaf logo uh, as part of it too. But you can direct it, message those questions to us there too. Exactly. So, and then if you were wondering last Sunday why there wasn't an episode, it's because I was on vacation. So, sorry it's about Evan's that. fault, guys. It it's is Evan's fault. Well, and I normally, I guess, we record two in a week, and then we'll just put the other one out the week after. But I just, you know. It was You're talking w- about when we go on vacation, yeah. when one of us goes on vacation, we try and record two ahead of time. Right. It was the week of Easter. My brain was, it was mush. So sorry about that. Wait, we did Easter. Dear listeners. Uh, but anyway, so today we are talking about uh, Stephen. We're doing a character study on uh, the famous, fir- famous first martyr of the church. So, you know. Yay for him. Uh, And then we will be using, as far as resources today, the ESV Study Bible, Reformation Study Bible, and then the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary by J.D. Douglas, Meryl C. Tenney, and Aaron's favorite name, Moises Moises. Silva. So there you go. If I ever have a pet, which I most likely will never have a pet, uh, I'm going to name it Moises. There you go. You should get- So um, you're welcome, Mr. Mr. Silva. Thank you for your name. You should get like a snake. And then it would be like Moses with the the snake- I mean, there's two snake stories with Moses because he's got the staff and then he's got the, the it's pole. true. Man, Moses was just a snake guy. I mean, I guess God was a snake guy and then he just used, but you know, either way, we don't need to dwell on that. So, <laughs> all right, moving forward. So we're going to talk- that's what we're talking about today. Because no, we're talking kidding. about Stephen, not- Not a snake guy. Not snake stories in the Old Testament. Uh, so anyway, uh, Stephen's, Stephen's a really interesting character because he's a, he's a very important character in that- um, like we said, he is the first martyr, so he's the first person to be killed um, for following Jesus. So this happens at the beginning of Acts. Um, he's followed closely, I believe, by James, the brother of John. Um, so there's those guys are kind of back to back. But the other interesting thing with Stephen is how how important his speech is as well that mm-hmm. he makes in the book of yeah. Acts. And we'll get to that in a second. But he really does give... Um, almost this full picture of the history of Israel and kind of a systematic theology of who Jesus is and why it's in, why he's important. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about a lot of today is the speech that he makes before he's killed. Uh, but first, let's talk about Stephen before his martyrdom. Uh, so the first time we see Stephen, he is being appointed as one of the first deacons in the history of the church. Uh, so deacon is just a word, I think it mean, it translates essentially to, to helper or something along those lines. Um, but in the structure of the old church, you had elders and you had deacons. So the elders were the people who were leading the church and then the deacons were the people who were uh, performing tasks that the elders needed. Um, and so it, it all starts with, well, here, we'll read the passage and we'll talk about it. Uh, So this is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. 
And it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their, wiz, uh, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom you will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, I don't know how to say that name, uh, Nicanor. We'll say Prochorus. <laughs> there you go. Timon, uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. It's funny how like, you know, some of those guys. Proselyte. Proselyte? Yeah. Proselyte. Uh, they, <laughs> these, they, these they set before the apostles and then prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and many of the priests became obedient in the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So there you go. That's our explanation. That's our first introduction to Stephen. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting that essentially what they're saying is from the beginning, the apostles... A complaint comes, and the Hellenists would mean that these are Greek-speaking Jews. Um, and so, they're coming forward, and they're saying, or Greek-speaking Christians, I suppose, uh, but yeah. they're in Jerusalem, so yeah. they're probably Jewish first. Uh, so, anyways, all this happens. They're coming, and they're saying, hey, our widows are being neglected. You're giving bread to the other people. And the apostles are like, listen, we don't have time to like get involved into the minutia of how this happens, so we need to appoint people to do and it. Nobody got time for that. Exactly. And you see this happens in church today, right? Like with lead pastors of churches do not get involved in like all of the, like the, the day-to-day runnings of the church need to happen. Otherwise you just couldn't, I mean, you could do it, but mm-hmm. then you'd have no, you'd have no time for anything in your life ever. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's an important point because I mean, we, it's funny, I read this and I'm like, man, like <laughs> as a pastor, my number one responsibility should be prayer in the ministry of the word. Like there is that layer to it, but it's as a lead pastor, that's probably the, the greater priority there. But the expectation of people on pastors in general is you should do everything and be everywhere. Right. And it's unrealistic. And that's I think that's what I love about the story of Stephen is it it it, re- it brings to the conversation and elevates God's people beyond just the disciples, the pastors, the elders, um, and raises them, them to a leadership, a position of ownership um, that I think is really good. So Yeah. And I also want to be clear here too and say that. Um, the idea here is not that one of the ministries is more important than the other. It's no, the, exactly. Because what Stephen is doing is essentially um, he's managing how food gets distributed to people who are hungry and in yes. need, which is an incredibly important ministry. Very necessary. Um, the idea is that the apost- like everything cannot rest on the apostles. And the apostles are saying, look, the, the number one thing that Jesus has called us to do is to preach the word. That, yes. is, our, that is our main calling. That's what we're that's what we're. That's what our lives are all about. And so these other things that are also important, we need other people to take care of. Mm-hmm. So, And that's what Stephen does. Um, so he's already well-respected among the early Christians. Uh, and he's even empowered by the Holy Spirit to do signs and wonders, just like the apostles. Which is so crazy. Yeah, it is. Like, it's, kind of like a, is that? it's kind of a throwaway line at the end, but it says, you know, full of grace and power, he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So um, Stephen is not just a guy, I guess is the idea. Like he is clearly one of the, disciples in the sense of like, he's, he's empowered by the Holy spirit Mm -hmm. for ministry and he's well-respected. Um, I would assume that means that he was probably a follower of Jesus before, um, the church starts. That's, that's open-handed. Uh, but it's a good assumption, I think. Yeah. Cause it's hard to imagine that he converts at Pentecost and then 
is within like a few weeks really respected among in. everyone. Yeah, right. yeah. So, anywho, but you know, it could be as, as well. Uh, not long after this appointment, uh, Stephen is taken before the high priest. So, and there's actually a lot of parallels between, it's interesting when you read through it, between Jesus and Stephen. It's um, true. Not that Stephen is perfect or the son of God, yeah. but they're both brought before the Sanhedrin like this. It's or like the least. same process happened with Jesus, but also happened with Stephen as well mm -hmm. in regards to what they were up against. And there's some miraculous stuff that we'll get to here in a second as well. Say what? But, what? All right. So in Acts chapter six, uh, this is 12 through 15. It says, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses. Uh, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have found, we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat at the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. So that's the miraculous thing we're talking about. Ooh. I know. So, and we don't get really much description of what that means, which yeah, is right. kind of interesting. But uh, there's some supernatural things that are happening right here. I think God knows, I'm not, I think, I mean, God knows what's about to happen. And yeah. so he's clearly empowering uh, Stephen to make this moment be what it's eventually going to be, which is mm -hmm. great. Um, Stephen gave... Yeah, he get, he gives one of the after this he gives one of the most famous speeches in the New Testament. Uh, the high priest asks him if these things are so, uh, and then in a surprising move, Stephen gives a full systematic theology of who Jesus is. Is kind of what we'll say. So yeah, after the everyone comes up and accuses him, they say they look at his face like the face of an angel. Some more accusations come, and then the high priest goes, "Stephen, is is this so?" Um, which again is also very reminiscent of what happens with Jesus, where the high priest asks him. Um, I wish I remember the exact thing that he asked him, but I believe it's. Um, that day and I can't remember, but he asks him something right before Jesus kind of says, and he says, you have heard it said, so I am. So that whole idea. Uh, and then he begins by recounting the calling of Abraham. So when Stephen starts out, he goes not to the very beginning, but he goes to essentially the beginning of the Jewish people. Uh, and he recounts the calling of Abraham. He tells the story of Joseph uh, and then the enslavement of the people of Israel. So you kind of is, it's, it's interesting too, that he's doing this to the high priest because they would have all been very aware of this. So he's kind of, um, preaching the choir is the wrong word because they definitely don't agree with what his point is going to be. But he's giving <laughs> them a history lesson on something that they would be very, very familiar with. Yes. Like, this is like going to the historical society and telling them about Abraham Lincoln. It's just like, yeah, we, yeah, I, I know. Duh. <laughs> um, anyway, he then talks about the birth of Moses. Um, he talks about how he murdered the Egyptian and ran away. So he's giving like, a, he's, it's pretty in depth. It's yeah. not like just a cursory overview. And then he talks about the ministry of Moses and how it connects to the ministry of Jesus. And that's the passage that we're going to talk about today. Um, it's a longer passage. I think it's like 20 verses. So I might have uh, maybe Aaron come in halfway through. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> Tag me in, coach. Tag in. All right. But anyway, uh, starting in verse 35, this is Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you ruler and judge? This man God sent both as ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So right off the bat, uh, you should notice some similar language there when it says this Moses, whom they rejected. You know who else the people rejected? Just saying. Uh, this man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation uh, in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. 
Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As as for this Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were re- and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship uh, the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slaying beasts as sacrifices during the forty years of, in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech the star of your God, Rephon, and the images you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. And if you remember from ever talking about it, Molech is the worst. So he's the child sacrifice God. Not cool. Uh, Our fathers had the tent of... of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they disposed of the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked him for a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. So we jump now from, we go straight from Moses, we skip over the judges and we go to David. Uh, And then we're going to talk about Solomon because it says, but it was Solomon who built the house for him. This is, of course, referring to the temple. Mm -hmm. Yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? So here Stephen is kind of talking about what has just happened, where the presence Mm -hmm. of God is no longer kind of. I don't want to say confined to the temple because obviously it's not, but God's the manifestation of God's presence was at the temple almost exclusively for a long time. Um, but now with the, the work of Christ, that is not the way it is anymore. Uh, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So now Stephen's he's, yeah. he's laying into it. Uh, and he's also not trying to make any friends here. So, no. I mean, and, and you know, good for him, but uh, this, isn't the, <laughs> this isn't the way to convince people not to stone you. Uh, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. Oh, snap. All Shots right. fired. So, yeah, Stephen is essentially saying... He's giving them a history of the of Israel's rejection of prophets a little bit because he's saying, "Here's Moses. He comes called, and the people are like, nah." And he he, he kind of like works his way through. The temple is built. God's presence is there, but it's not always going to be there. But and even he, that, like even that temple moment, was God's even point is like, "Who are you going to build me a house? My house is in. The, I, I live in the heavens. Exactly. Like my throne room is in the heavens." And you are doing this in your own accord. David even like, and he had this, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but he had this vision of most like, I mean, I want to build, we're going to build the temple. It's not going to be a mobile structure anymore. We're going to build a city for the, for God. And there's going to be a house that is there. And then God's like, you're not going to do this, but your son will do it. Yes. Um, but then, even then that like, God was like, listen, this is not my permanent residency. Like, yeah. This, this isn't even my vacation home. This is my office. Like The temple was built to honor God, but it definitely wasn't like this like big favor. Like, oh, thank yeah. goodness. Now I have a place. Exactly. So, but like that, and that's part of the the process there too, is like the rejection of Moses, but at the same time doing what they wanted to do and what they deemed essential and necessary. Um, And so God just kind of, I mean, God allows at times things to happen, but it's just interesting to watch this progression play out. So, yeah, no, it's really true. And then we get to uh, after, you know, the talking about Moses and he just goes through and he says, and and this, this really is the history of Israel for so long. When you read the prophets, they're all saying, 
here's what God is going to do. And the people are like, eh, I don't know. Like, and that, that's essentially the history yeah, we'll of, you know, from Elijah to Malachi, that's kind of what happens. And then uh, Stephen here is saying, you've rejected prophets again. Yeah. Uh, you've rejected John the Baptist, who I think we can say is a prophet, um, yep. but then there's the prophet, like the, the prophet priest. The one that came. Moses alluded to, the one that yep. Abraham, like all of these individuals were waiting for. And he says, you rejected him as well. And then he calls them stiff-necked, which is... Uh, it's, it's not... It's funny because it's like it loses its translation and and the phrasing it was. But it's a strong, very harsh statement to call someone stiff-necked and stubborn. Yep. And then uncircumcised in heart. And he attacks them right where it matters because circumcision was a big deal for them. Yep. And he's like, yeah, but you're circumcised on the outside, but the inside, which is the heart, matters most. So and he it, attacks them there. It reminds me too of... Um, it's in Psalms, I believe, where it says the sacrifices. I'm paraphrasing, but the sacrifice that God desires is a broken and a contrite yes, heart. Yes, so in Psalms. The idea there is that Israel had gotten, um, particularly at this time, I think, with Second Temple Judaism, um, and that's after they come back from the exile and they've kind of put away um, polytheism at that point. So they've um, at this point in Israel's history, their struggle is not like, well, we want to worship Baal too. Like yeah. they're, they're pretty, they're Yahweh's the God. Yeah. He's, and I would say this the... too. I remember the time it's happening. This is the book of Acts. This mm -hmm. is what's going on. We we talked about, we did a podcast a few weeks ago about the intertestamental period, which is all of like the world history as we know it when it comes to the Middle East and Alexander the Great and the Roman conquering. Like that's the reality. So when we say Greek Hellenists, like they were most likely Jewish, but because of the Roman uh, control and all of the things that had played out, the Greek and all of these languages became mainstream. Right. That's why it would be Greek Hellenist. That's why it would be Greek, you know, in essence, Jewish Christians, but Ju Greek Christians. So, yeah. And you, you, you see this struggle happening throughout the history of Israel, but I think it's more pronounced now that the main struggle of Jew of the, of the Jewish religious is that they were just going through the motions mm -hmm. of worshiping God, but not actually doing what he wanted. Or in yeah. other words, they were offering the sacrifices, but what God really desired was the contrite repentant heart yeah yeah of what comes from that um and in the same way here Stephen's saying like yeah you're all physically circumcised but you're not circumcised in the heart yeah and what he's meaning there's you're you're not actually obeying god you're not actually walking with god you're just doing all of these rituals that god mm -hmm. commands you to do so it's interesting um so yeah we talked about our well, Stephen finishes his speech. Um, it actually has a lot of the same themes as Peter's on Pentecost, yep, which is interesting. Um, but the receptions could not be more different because <laughs> yeah, Peter right. Peter gives that <laughs> message. Um, 3,000 people are saved. And then Stephen gives the message. And, and he they, ends up dying. Yeah, they just tear their clothes. And they're like, oh my gosh, this freaking heretic. So there you go. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, it says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, enraged, and, the and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. So literally, I could see them plugging their ears with their fingers and closing their eyes, turning away and running. <laughs> oh my gosh, these guys. Um, I do. I don't want to skip over this as well. It's uh, it's it's so loving that God did this for Stephen mm -hmm. um, because I think um, imagine like I can't imagine he was that afraid of dying in that moment when he looks up and he sees like Jesus wait, waiting for him. He's like God is there. Jesus is at the right hand. Like it's, take it's, me home. Yeah, it's. I think it's this moment where, and not that like I mean, there's pain and everything like that. But you got to think that Stephen at this moment is like. 
oh wow okay i'm ready like it's, 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 it's i don't know it's yeah. just a loving thing well you think it's almost like a you get man you see this deep revelation in the physical experience where whether where there is prob like there is probably pain like i don't think he's he's numb to it but maybe he is like maybe he's so captivated by what he sees maybe he's so enthralled maybe his soul is so deeply rejoicing where all of the physical things all of the earthly things don't even matter anymore but it is like this incredible revelation of like that's that's where i'm going like that's my home like that and it's the the picture john tries to paint revelation like a new heaven a new earth like a new city a new jerusalem coming down like and so you do see this picture of everything that's currently going on around me right now doesn't matter because I'm so enamored and captivated. Right. And there's part of me that's like, we, and this is where we struggle, right? We can't comprehend this. We have never come this close to getting a glimpse of eternity. All we get is, is truth in scripture that shows us that what we are promised as followers of Christ is well worth it and well beyond the momentary trials and, surf and suffering and persecution. Um, but it is, it is such a beautiful thing. And I think it's important to, I, I love that you want to stop because I think it is, it is powerful, man. Like it is, because mm -hmm. I've, I've had the thought, I mean, <laughs> like if persecution continues to, to come towards Christianities in America, Christians, Christianities, Christian, Christians Christianities. in America, um, like there's like, I mean, my wife and I have discussed it. Like, do we have the faith that will stand firm? Um, and I don't think, I'm not saying that my faith is wavering. What I'm saying is like, there are moments where I've wrestled with like, God, I don't want to fall away, but I'm also a pansy when it comes to pain. <laughs> so, right. um, so at the end of the day, like God's merciful, God's just, and I'm, I'm confident that as I continue to surrender and walk in humility with him, that he'll give me everything I need when I need it, which is what we see in happening with Stephen right here. Mm -hmm. I think God gave him the words. I know God gave him the words to speak to the, to, to the Jewish council, but also in that moment to stand firm and to to endure because of what he sees and experiences. So yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, so this happens and it says, but they cried out in a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Um, which it, again, if you don't remember is essentially throwing someone down and just big old rocks. Yeah. Just you chuck it out. You them. chuck rocks at them till they die. Not small rocks. You're no. grabbing big stones and you're throwing them because it's the intent to kill. Right. Uh, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That guy comes up later. Not in this podcast. No. But yeah. He's, he's Paul. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, and then they were, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, which is another yeah, parallel to Christ. Exactly. Uh, and falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, which is another Again, parallel to Christ. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you see, and I, I want to be careful because I, I do not ever want to try and make the, or want to seem like I'm making the point that like, man, Stephen and Jesus are like the same. But yeah. I think what you're seeing here um, is someone whose sanctification is just so far. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is um, these big words, right? But um, with salvation- of, Sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ. Yeah, becoming more and more like Jesus. When we're saved, there's this idea of we're justified before God immediately. Mm -hmm. That part happens at salvation. Yep. Um, but there's this other idea where the long Christian walk is becoming more and more like Jesus. And yeah. I think we see here with Stephen, how far along he is in that walk, yeah. where he's able to face death. Um, having Jesus's death and resurrection fresh in his memory. Mm -hmm. And he's able to, he's able to die really well. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because it's something that I think we're, 
we're very afraid to talk about in uh, kind of modern Western Christianity, I guess we can call it. But when you look at um, when you look at hymns, all of the old hymns, the final verse is always about dying. It's true. Um, it was something that was very that was very much in the mind of people that part of the Christian walk is also meditating on like, what does the end of my life look like? Yeah. Uh, both in terms of how can I use that to glorify God? And then also how can I be looking forward to eternity with God? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something we've kind of lost a little bit. So yeah, I agree. Um, and Which then, is why like, I mean, and again, we're recording this in April. So even right after Easter, which is why I think, and I'm the, the longer I like this year specifically, I'm more convinced Good Friday is one of the most intentional, powerful, necessary days we as Christians have to spend time reflecting on, have to spend time sorting through and working through because it is, it is, it's necessary, I think, for Christians to understand death and the reality of sin, but at the same time, the resurrection we're given in life in Christ. So, but anyways, that's a side note. No, that's great. Uh, And then finally it ends here when it says, uh, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Um, which is a euphemism that the Bible uses a lot for it, and then he died. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we see that when Jesus, like, when he goes to heal somebody, like, hey, your, your your daughter's not dead; she's sleeping. Right. And he, hey, wake up, little girl. Like, there there is that picture. Death, from a biblical perspective and reality, is eternal separation from God. When sleeping is that temporary physical death that we understand now, right? For the most part, and, when it and talks it, about eternal terms, and it and it does remind us too that um, we are eternal beings yes uh, our bodies are not but there's there's an eternal reality for that yes exactly all right so that is it uh that's the story of steven yeah that's the reality of who he is as far as the, as far as the legacy of steven goes i think he kicks off this long stretch of people who would be persecuted and who would die for their faith in jesus that yeah. really did not it never stopped but it really did not it didn't stop being the norm until what th- I can't remember when Constantine reigned, but like the year 300, I think somewhere in there. So this is a few centuries Yeah. of, um, I need to make sure that's right. But anyway, it's, it's, it's a long time before Christianity is accepted in the Roman empire. Yeah. Um, and and be- you see that you see the, the Jewish church actively attacking and going after this Christian sect. Yes. They, they didn't stop with Jesus. It then transferred over to all of the followers of Jesus, which is why you see a Stephen martyr. Then you'll see a James martyred and then so on and so forth. Um, and the hard part, I think, when we read scripture is we see it's it can feel in one respect, it can feel like it's drawn out for so long because of how long it takes us to read through scripture. But some of these stories and realities are very much back to back to back or close thereof because the the Jewish council, the, the Jewish leaders right. are trying to eradicate and eliminate along with the help of other governing powers and structures. They're trying to eradicate Christianity. Um, and we're how many thousands of years removed from that and still seeing an incredible uh, work of, of Christ and the, the Christian faith. Yep. So Stephen is part of that. And I think also just what we talked about, the idea of um, Stephen just becoming more and more like Christ as he follow as he follows him allowed him to give just incredibly powerful moments. Like Matt, your last your last words before you leave Earth, being asking for forgiveness for the people who are killing you is incredible, and that's it's a that is a uniquely Christian thing. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of times because we've just grown up in, um, 
we've grown up in a Christian culture as far as morals go. Um, even though like so many people now are wouldn't identify as Christians or maybe they've never even like been to church, all those different things, but we still have grown up in a culture where we we value, at least nominally, the idea of forgiveness and grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't realize how unique in human history those ideas are to Christianity. And Stephen demonstrates them there as well. So there you yeah. go. Uh, we're going to move on to questions now, uh, but before we do, we just want to remind you to leave a five-star review for the podcast on whatever app you're listening on. Uh, that is always uh, really helpful, and it just helps get the podcast out there to a few more people. Um, particularly, we like written reviews because uh, if you have things you'd like to work on, then it's helpful. I think Aaron has a review for us yeah, right so there, now. There's a review that came in uh, on Tuesday, actually. Sick. Uh, and so I just want to give a quick shout out for it. I appreciate it. It's the username is G2794, so I don't know uh, the actual name, but uh, this individual gave us a review and he said this, great podcast for solid content. I was encouraged to find these guys who are delivering godly content. Excited to hear the rest of their episodes. Thanks for being faithful. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. Thank Ooh. you for that review. Thank you for the encouragement. We want and strive to be biblically centered in everything we say and do. Uh, and uh, we don't ever want to preach something or say something that is against what truth actually tells us. So appreciate you giving us a review. Thank you for that. Uh, Thank you, G2. G, yeah, G2. I just put it away. It's seven four something like that. So yeah, (laughs) seriously, thank you for the shout out. Thank you for the review. Um, It's just ways that we can help continue to grow the community and help the algorithms uh, continue to put uh, the podcast and really even more so the Bible in front of people. So I appreciate the review. I tip my hat to you, sir. Absolutely. Or ma'am. Okay, <laughs> true. We, G2 is a, is a unisex name. Uh, so moving on, uh, our first question today, and this isn't really a research question, but I think it's a fun one to talk about. So it says, uh, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 20 is a powerful message. Uh, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. This was taken very literally, that that was scripture, then the the question comes here. Uh, This was taken very literally by the Jewish people who wore, I should have looked up how to pronounce (laughs) that word, uh, who wear that word even today. And that's just, these are, who wear, the word is phylacteries or phylacteries or something like that. Um, But it's this idea of like symbols of truth in God's word. Uh, all around. So that's what it's referring to. There you go. I just don't want to pronounce the word. Sorry. Uh, and have scriptures and little rolls nailed to their doorposts. So tell me, seeing as we are encouraged to do it, why are older Christians often greeted with rolly eyes for <laughs> I having love rolly eyes. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, for having scripture displayed on their walls, regardless of the art medium, uh, from painting to cross stitched metalwork to, you know, et cetera, et cetera, so, et cetera, et cetera. There you go. Uh, no, I, okay. I actually think this is a really good. It's a fun question. It's a good point as well, where I think. Ooh, point. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think. There, yeah, I wish you could have seen Evan's face when he said point. point. Like overly emphasized. Like it's a point. Like, there, there, there's something about, um, there's something about having scripture and having truth mm. actually in front of you uh, to remember. Yeah. Um, and I think it, this is going to this is going to be really bad because we have one at our house and I don't remember what it says. That's so awesome. it's just bad, but it's right above our couch. Um, Which he never looks back above his couch. I never He's always sitting on the couch, couch looking away from the wall. Um, no, but I remember there was once where um, I heard a sermon quote um, and I definitely had something made and we ha- we hung it up uh, when I was living with a bunch of uh, guy roommates. We had it above and it was that you have been, uh, um, you have been saved out of something you could not defeat into a work that you cannot accomplish. Um, and the idea mm-hmm. behind that is essentially saying like, your salvation is not something you did. 
Your salvation is uh, something that God has done for you. And the work that you've been called to is not something you can do. Yeah. It is something that God will do through you. And so essentially it's this idea of just remembering to always be reliant on God. And that was, that was a powerful thing to have. Um, I know there's people when, like, I wish I could remember who it was, but they were talking about how when they were, when they were going through cancer, um, they would write scripture on sticky notes and they mm. pay, posted it all around the house so that as they're walking, um, I know a few people where, mm-hmm. uh, like we had a friend who, um, is going through a really difficult time. And so we all went over and we prayed and then we wrote scripture on sticky notes and we stuck it all over their house so that he was able to just, as he's walking through, uh, just be reminded of God's faithfulness. I think it's a really powerful thing yeah, that we absolutely. have neglected a little bit. Um, we just, it's fine. We just visited old friends. Me and uh, me and my wife took a road trip and visited some old friends in the church who had moved. And right above their uh, their house, it says, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." So it's like the first thing that you see as you walk in is, yep. the, is that statement of belief, which it's I think from is Joshua really twenty four. Yep. So all all of that to be said, I think I think it's actually a really important thing for us to do is to mm-hmm. remember, um, is to have things around that we can point to and then we can look at that stir our affection for God. I think scripture is the most powerful. I think there's other things too. Um, I think like we have one that's up that just says, um, then sings my soul, my savior God to thee, how great thou art, which isn't scripture, but it, it also stirs my affection you know, yeah, towards absolutely. who God is. Uh, there's one that we have where um, it just says, Christ will hold me fast, which is an old um, hymn, but basically it means that it's, it's, it's using a ship's metaphor where in the middle of the storm, you would hold fast or you'd hold tight to the yeah. ship. So you wouldn't get into and it's saying Christ is the one who does that for me. Um, I think the big thing is just like, it's just cheesiness, I guess. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> like I'm not a precious moments guy, uh, but I'm pretty, yes, you are. No, I'm pretty sure no one is. And then when you turn 70, it just like, you, you a switch flips. It's like how, when I turned 28, I just decided like, oh, I like golf now. And I never had before. <laughs> I think that's what Listen, it is. I was part of your first ever golf outing. It's okay. true. There's just like, there's, you just hit certain ages and you like certain things. Um, but all, all the, no offense to people who like precious moments. They're, Evan's a late bloomer. It's true. Uh, but all of those, all of those things to say, I think it is, I think it actually is something to think about. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, you know, why, why is there people greeted, you know, why are older Christians greeted with early eyes? I think, um, I think context matters. I think that's a big part of it. Um, and I agree. I have scripture on my house. I have one very strategically that I place by my front door as people leave that I really felt like when we moved into this house and I shared this in a message I spoke a little bit ago, but it's out of numbers um, six, which just says the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Um, and, and the whole point of it is because I really do believe like what God has called us to in the neighborhood we are and anybody who comes in our home or homes, excuse me, um, really the heart is that they would, they would be, um, they would experience that same thing that my prayer is that God would turn his face towards every individual who leaves my house and yeah. be gracious to them that he would like the, so there, so the purpose of the scripture in my house, like we have one that says, bind my wandering heart to thee, which is out of my favorite hymn, come without fount. Oh, great, um, great hymn. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things that I think scripture is powerful and it, it, and it's important, you know, my kids, when we dedicated them, same thing's going to happen with Esther when we dedicate her. Um, there's a, a scripture verse we select pur- purposely for them specifically. You know, my sons is Josh, you know, Joshua six is it one? No, it's one. Be strong and courageous. Therefore, Classic. The, the Lord, your God will go with you wherever you go. His name is Gideon for, on purpose. You know, my daughter's Abby, hers is out of Proverbs 31. I had to look it up cause I can never remember this. Um, but it says she's clothed in strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. You didn't, you didn't do the one about rising early. <laughs> No, no. When when she's a teenager, you should switch the verses and just put that (laughs) one up. That's awesome. Uh, for Esther, it's it's most likely going to be the verse from Esther where it says, for such a time as this. And because that's part of the reason why we we named her Esther. Uh, she was a COVID baby. She was born in 2020. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think scripture is an important reality. I mean, it's, it's something where we have to be mindful and remind ourselves of God's word and the truth that will stir our affections towards him, but also remind us of truth. I mean, we're in a series we just started last week of the enemy at work here at the Grove. And one of the things Pastor Nick even said was the idea of memorizing scripture. It's hard to memorize scripture, but our home should be filled with it. And, and I think as Christians, our concern is, well, I don't know if it's a concern. I think specific verses and all of the artwork that we find are so cliche and I think they're so ripped out of context that it loses its meaning and value, which is why I said at the very beginning of my my statement is context matters. I think kids and, the, and younger generations are meant to be taught and shown what the truth of these scriptures mean. And it's if you have scripture on your wall, when people come in and you see their reaction or they like... It's your job to uphold those standards or expectations or those desires. Now, here's the thing. You can also overly spiritualize things very easily. And I don't say that to, you know, how do you overly spiritualize scripture? You make it about the verse and you forget about the relationship it leads us to. Um, So I just think it's important. Being being circumcised physically, but not in heart to bring what exactly uh, Stephen was saying. Let's bring full circle. Exactly. Um, So anyways, I I think it's it's unfortunate that people are greeted with rolly eyes, but at at the same time, I, I, I think it's important as Christians, we have to strategically be ready um, to remember God's truth. And I think scripture around our house helps that. But I also think it's, it's an opportunity to love and care for those who come in our homes. Um, I, I think too, like one last thing uh, that just kind of popped in my head, but and maybe it's a little bit of repentance on my end as well, because I just ragged on precious moments. But <laughs> I think as, as younger people, we also need to understand that generations just change. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I could see like stirring the heart of older people where younger people look at it and they're just like, okay, that's kind of awkward. And I think it's the aesthetic too. Even as you're saying that, like it could just simply be the aesthetic that is the roll right. of the eyes. It may not be the scripture or the truth, but it could just be the look and feel. I don't want a floral print couch in my house. Floral print couches were of the rage Dude, they were, for my they grandparents. Were happening. But I don't want one of those because the style changes. But well, the truth shouldn't change. So I think that that's part of, that could be part of it too. Yeah. The, the two things I had in mind were uh, the precious moments, little things that have scriptures on them. But then the other one is uh, there's this one painting that I always kind of make fun of and I call it Vampire Jesus um, because <laughs> it's it's just this guy who's like completely limped and then Jesus is holding him up. And it's just his head is in a weird place where it's like right next to his neck. So that's kind of what it looks like. Um, but like my, my point is like, I can see how like, like me, I just look at it and I'm like, you know, I'm just, Vampire I, Jesus. I'm an idiot. I'm a young, like, it was just like a joke when we were teenagers, but like for older people, I can absolutely see where, like, especially when that first came out, like yeah. that is a really powerful image. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's things right now that I look at and I think, wow, this is really powerful. And then my, uh, younger generations who come after me are going to be like, okay, guy, come on. Like, let's, yeah, right. so it's, that's part of the nature of it too. So yeah. I think as younger people, it's having grace. It's not greeting it with rolly eyes when we see it, but understanding that, you know, like tastes are different. Um, but the idea of being reminded of truth, especially in your own home, is a powerful one. And I think something yeah. that we shouldn't neglect. So. Well, it also empowers us to, because I, I, it's funny, I'm reading this question from like, an, from the perspective of, I'm an old person who has scripture on my wall getting rolly eyes. Um, and that's not necessarily the, the, the framework of the, of the one who wrote the question, but that's just where my first mind goes to. It's like, well, let me defend this for a second. But then at the same time, it is like this, as a young, if you're a young listener here and you have scripture in your house because your parents or your grandparents, whatever, like get to know the story behind it. Why is that verse specifically on there? It's a, it's a great opportunity for interge- intergenerational conversations. Um, if you're an older generation and someone comes in and you see some kind of rolly eye, it's an opportunity for you not to call out the rolly eye, 
But hey, have I, it's literally like starting a conversation. Have I ever told you about the meaning and the power of that scripture behind or that verse or that thought or that picture and why I love it? Um, I mean, I did the same thing with our house. The, the, the Redfin photos or the, 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 the MLS photos of the house I bought, bro, the lady had like Jesus right as he entered the door. She had a nativity all year round and a certain, like there was all of these Jesus moments. And I kind of just laughed because I'm like, man, that's overkill. But I don't know the stories behind it. Right. And so I think it's important for younger generations to get to know the story behind it. For an older generation, create opportunities to tell the story. And don't just say, hey, I saw your eyes, so let me tell you about it. But it's like, hey, have I, have I ever told you? Invite someone in a conversation because I think that's part of that. And that's part of passing on scripture from generation to generation to generation. So I'll stop preaching. Well said. That was, we, that was a lot longer of a discussion than I thought we were going to have with that question, but it was good. It's so. a good question. Yeah, I, it's, no, it again, good. and it's one of those things we process and I, I process out loud and I do it that way. So I went from making fun of something to repenting, repenting, of, repenting of making fun of things. So there you go. Uh, but with that, that wraps it up for this episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, just a reminder that we uh, love, if you are able to, uh, just financial contributions to keep the ministry of the Grove Church going. Uh, if you wanted to uh, give financially, you can go to our website, grove.church, and there's a gift button in the top right corner. We'd really appreciate that. And then also, we want to remind you that we are... Uh, a resource of the Grove Church, but not the only one. Uh, we also have our blog called Life and Limb. Uh, this week is a blog by our worship pastor, Hunter, about uh, five misconceptions about Satan. So yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> so check it out. Uh, and we also have past messages available as well as the archive of this podcast. So yes, do it. Check it all out. And with that being said, uh, we'll see you next time. Have a great day, guys.